This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Talking about social media. And uh, we've all witnessed one, if not been part of one of these Twitter storms. Uh, They can be rather benign in in their sort of first post, a benign post that all of a sudden suddenly turns into a, a crazy back and forth that can then leave the most innocent of posters feeling like they've been gaslit. There are trolls and then there are bullies. The prior are often just out to muddy the matter up and the latter is more about tossing grenades with very little backup and then pivoting to generalizations and whataboutism to avoid any fact check on their hot take. So if you're nodding your head like, yeah, yeah, no, I've either witnessed that or I've been a part of one of those, I want to introduce you to, if you've not met him before, our next guest who's going to give us a few do's and don'ts for your social media digital citizenship. We welcome Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality back to the show. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jody. How are you today? I'm doing good. I, I can honestly say that I have found myself... Um, having posted something on Twitter, this was about six, eight months ago, and producer Ben Dooley can actually, he's nodding his head because he, he stepped in on my behalf because I honestly thought I was just posting something sort of random. And next thing you know, it basically goes viral down this spiral of like pulling me into a conversation that had nothing to do with my original post. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And you see that happening more and more on Twitter as the temperature seems to increase on social media with people, I don't know, like the president of the United States using it to bully people? Yeah, well, he's he's used uh, Twitter since its basic start uh, to really kind of polarize his brand. Right. Uh, but, but one thing we have to keep in mind here is that Twitter uh, is a polarizing space. I mean, it, it is what it is. It, compared to 10 years ago, because of the way that people have polarized their messages against one another. And, and I think at its bottom line, uh, the people who have uh, invested interests, whether they be financial or, or creative, um, when, once that changes, uh, that entire space becomes something that is somewhat uh, benign, because it would just be people being happy with one another, which is not exactly what we see in our everyday discourse of people driving from one point of town to the other or trying to merge onto a highway. Uh, but at the end of the day, when we look at how individuals are using social media, it is becoming more and more toxic with, when we see this increase of users. And compared to 10 years ago, we did not see people as actively using social media as we do today. And it there's also a bit of that generational divide because 10 years ago, majority of users were under 50. And now we're seeing a huge group of users who are over 50 and having a lot of time online to really stir pots. As a social media educator, I mean, we often talk about kids issues and teenagers and just young people in general and having a digital citizenship. Do that older generation that you're speaking about kind of feel entitled to just say whatever the heck they want on social media and just, you know, deal so for the better part of 18 months, I've been analyzing how people 15 over use Facebook mm-hmm. and how people 40 and over use Twitter. And in that Facebook space, we're seeing a lot of toxic posts from people who would identify that their age is 50 and over. And, and there is a bit of an emboldenment. There is a, a behavior of sharing of memes, political ideologies, uh, thought processes where digital citizenship and at the end, actually to its core media literacy is, is somewhat just removed from that group uh, because it meets a narrative that would either 
perpetuate a ongoing conversation, especially in politics, um, or also just opinions about that generational divide. We still see a large amount of content going on, really kind of maligning younger users of social media or those who are using their, their voice to target issues like climate change and protest. Um, but at the same time, because those users are more comfortable and maybe there's a little bit more downtime, we are seeing a little bit of a, of a switch in the way that we should be a little bit more aware of how users are are, are, are prone on social media, to your point, of uh, that pylon, because there's an innocent post that somebody thinks is humorous, and uh, all of a sudden you have a, a grandfather or a grandmother who's being bombarded with people saying that's entirely not appropriate and how dare you even think to post it. And it's fascinating to me because Twitter in particular, because you can take you, the same person on Twitter and then follow them on Instagram and the temperature is about one-tenth as hot. Everything's sort of chill. Is it the photo piece that, or is it, is it humanizing of it? Is Twitter just so fast and furious and so few characters and just kind of comes across as terse that gets people so quickly riled up? I think it's how we choose our audiences. Uh, majority mm. of Twitter users are, pu- are public facing. So they would, would say they'd have a public account. It's not private posts. But on Instagram, a large amount of people are private in their accounts, so they pick and choose and curate their audience. So you don't see that toxic piece where you have a random person commenting on an Instagram post because they're not privy to it. Whereas, as mentioned, the majority of Twitter users, uh, we see them open, we see them just basically making comment or saying something in regards to any societal uh, event, and that's where that toxicity pops up. Jody Vance in for Simi this week, and we're continuing our chat with good friend Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality. He educates people on social media use and digital citizenship and literacy. People of all ages, right, Jesse? Your kids all the way through adults and beyond. Oh, very much so. And those audiences are so diverse, whether it's government, post-secondary, or talking to great kids in a BC school. There's a, there's no, no quiet days in this field. No, nope, but I always come to you when I have a question about this, because your sage perspective, because some people just say, oh, it's all a cesspool. Not true. Oh, no, we've got some amazing things happening on social media. And I think it's the evolution of platforms. I mean, we were talking earlier about how we've kind of gone through these 10, 15 year increments of, of introduction and then these changes that are affecting all of us. Uh, but right now we're seeing a, a whole group of kids emerging on TikTok with some really powerful and, and inspirational videos. Um, I've actually struggled to find uh, content online that I think is newsworthy on TikTok that would go to that negative space. Uh, but that said, uh, Facebook still has this huge uh, grouping of users, and, and it still is an interesting dialogue as we head towards a federal election in the United States and uh, what we learned from our Canadian election in 2019 as Facebook was potentially weaponized. And that's a big piece of this. Like, make sure that Facebook isn't your sole news source because the algorithm is definitely arcing towards what you've clicked on in your history. Yeah, and within that too, also just your rooted biases. I, I find right. that people are so comfortable being in their silos of mm-hmm. preferred information that once they see something that's contrary to their value system, it automatically becomes this idea of fight uh, and and hide behind a screen as opposed to look at good good discourse that creates democracy. So that's a perfect jumping off place for this here because oftentimes you see strangers going head to head on Twitter, sometimes egghead unverified, lots of numbers in the handle to other egghead. Um, But what if it's people that you actually know, respect, might be in your circle, you might know of them and you watch, maybe something, something goes off and back and forth goes the debate and then it starts to get heated and they kind of, it, it almost feels like the people involved in the Twitter battle or storm or war or whatever you want to term you want to use, forget that there are so many others 
watching that. Yeah. Well, interesting you bring it up because um, my favorite discourse on Twitter is when you have verified accounts um, having conversation and and that conversation stays professional. Uh, This past week, we saw uh, two uh, retired NHL players. They're they're both verified accounts uh, to bring up pieces of junior hockey, to bring up dialogues that uh, have emerged from the NHL and and, and hockey environments in the past year involving uh, language and, and, and conduct towards one another. And it's so polarizing that one person's perspective then becomes this pylon of followers from whichever side of the coin you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we see that also in, in journalism. We see that in editorial processes. Uh, but to that point of verified accounts, if you have an employer or if you're a personality that you've done something where um, you are verified online, just such as your account is, Jody, um, in that when you are putting out good information and then you're having contrast, that's what Twitter should be. It should be a, a place for discourse. But once it gets to personalize the tax and once it gets to commentary that, that very much is reflective of people don't have any other fight except for going after an individual um, because it's an easy shot, uh, I think that's where we start to deteriorate the value of what that public discourse looks like because we are taking a town hall and putting it into a mediated space. Uh, but more importantly, I think when it just comes down to how we use this tool is that it, the more people understand about how the tools themselves kind of polarize each user into a space where whether it's us choosing our audiences, people we follow, or when it comes down to it, stories that are just geared towards clickbait, you put it out there and you don't do your own due diligence to figure out whether or not it's valid or not. Um, that's where sometimes I think we are getting to a scary point of uh, uh, idiosity, actually. It's just, you know, you see something and it's it, there's no substance to it except for the, the ire that it builds. And I have had on a couple of occasions just said that is rem- remarkably hysterically wrong and just left the conversation or muted the conversation or blocked the person if, I, if I'm seeing it spiral in that way for when it's at me personally. And generally speaking, I don't get in a lot of these battles, but I've witnessed a number of them. And I'm wondering, and really my question for you, Jesse, is when I'm watching it, if it's people that I know and I feel like I can just like chime in to try and calm the waters, is that not a good idea? You know, I, I think these discourses on social media, especially in the public space, um, they, they benefit from individuals, especially verified accounts, giving a little nudge publicly mm. and saying, I think we've met a point here where we're not winning anything in this discourse. But I think there's actually more of an effect when somebody gets a direct message and it's a colleague of theirs saying, this isn't going to look very good tomorrow when we're talking right. about it in the workplace or, or further. And uh, what, what, what are you getting at, at the end of the day? And I think, unfortunately, most of us are fueled by this idea that we're a winner in an internet argument. And mm. to be fair, whether it's a slam dunk on somebody because you found a really good data set or an old screenshot, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't really do anything, and we forget about it three days later. See, I've done that with the DM and said, buddy, oh, what are you doing? And then I get like that screenshot is put up on Twitter as, a, oh, and now so-and-so is DMing me. I'm like, oh, Jesus, that didn't mean for that to be my next thing. Like sometimes it gets too hot to dip your toe into. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. We mentioned earlier kids. Uh, part of my new curriculum for students in the past year and a half is focused on digital consent. And just the idea oh. that just because we have tools where we can screenshot things, um, does it give you the ability to then take that private conversation and then pivot it to a public place? Um, you know, when it comes down to our emails, we have these signatures at the bottom that say, unless you're the intended recipient, you know, we expect you to delete this. Uh, but does that fine print actually dictate a relationship? And when it comes down to people screenshotting, whether it's from a group chat or whether it's something 
something from a private uh, social media account and push to the public, um, we are seeing youth being better at that than adults. Hmm. And those kids are saying, you know, I got burned by some friend in middle school, you know, posting a group chat conversation to people who weren't in the group chat. Uh, they've learned their lesson. And, you know, it's something like I think most of us learn when we go through school prior to these tools about how to pick and choose your audience, those you trust, and what it means to have a friend burn you on uh, something you were expecting to be private. Um, now that we have these tools, we're seeing adults choose that more often. And like mm-hmm. I said, we're weaponizing aspects of this technology. The be- bigger question is, will our relationships be able to sustain it? Boy, oh boy, am I ever glad I have your phone number, Jesse. Thank you for that. No, not a worry. Thank you. Jesse Miller, find out more at Mediated Reality. Seriously, have him come and speak at your workplace. Like that was just a couple of segments. I learned a ton there.